0: The Irish have another huge road game on Saturday as they head to Louisville to take on the Cardinals and to get ready for it. I'll be joined by one of Louisville's best insiders to tell us everything we need to know about the matchup. Plus, we break down the meanest characters in the movie, Rudy. That's all coming up next.
1: You are Locked On Irish, your daily podcast on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: What's up? Welcome to Lockdown Iris, your daily Notre Dame podcast. Today is Thursday, October 5th, and thank you for making this your first listen of the day. I'm your host, Tyler Wojak. I'm a Notre Dame alum and producer covering college football for Fox Sports. And today, I'm going to be joined by who I think is the premier voice uh, covering UFL Athletics, Mike Rutherford, the owner and manager of CardChronicle.com. And we talked a lot about the game. We went over both sides of the ball, what his expectations are for this matchup. And then at the end, we do a comprehensive breakdown of the supporting characters in Rudy because Mike has been on this for a while, that Rudy... The path to Notre Dame was just one of the many difficulties he faced in his life. What he dealt with at home might have been much worse. So I had a ton of fun doing this. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy it as well. Tomorrow, be on the lookout for another Mailbag episode. Get your questions in now. But all right, let's talk to Mike. All right, I'm really excited about this one. Uh, I'm here with Mike Rutherford, the manager and editor of CardChronicle.com, to preview the big game on Saturday. But before we dive into the matchup, set the stage for us, Mike. I know... This is the first home sellout for Louisville since the last time Notre Dame came to town back in 2019. But this feels way bigger than that. So, when was the last time Louisville hosted a home game uh, of this magnitude?
1: I think, and it's funny, I got this question earlier today, actually. I I think it's the 2017 Clemson game when college game day was in town. It was, if you remember the 2016 Clemson game, Louisville goes down there. Uh, I think the James Quick game. Exactly, the James Quick game. We like I mean, more people refer to it as the Deshaun Watson Lamar Jackson game, but Louisville fans definitely refer to it as the James Quick game. Uh Louisville's actually favored in that game, which is crazy, considering how far they fell just 2 years later, but you know, Louisville goes down there that it's the electric game. Clemson squeaks out a win. Lamar Jackson comes back in 2017. It's the rematch. They're coming in here, you know, defending national champs, all that good stuff. And That was a huge game. It ended up being a huge letdown for Louisville. It also was the last time that Louisville played in this spot, the 730 ABC game. So uh, I think that's probably the answer. But this is, you're right, this feels like a much bigger deal than the 2019 game. And unless something crazy happens, this is going to be the most attended game in the history of Uval football. They expanded that stadium in 2018. Uh, They've only sold it out twice, like you said, since that happened. And and I'll, I'll be shocked if the number for this game isn't bigger than that game in 2019, which was the season opener for both teams.
0: Yeah, that game was fun. I was at that, and there was definitely a new sense of energy, Satterfield's first game, and frankly, I was pretty surprised how his tenure turned out. Considering that game, I was like, all right, like I thought Notre Dame would beat them pretty handedly. They didn't. I was like, all right, well, Louisville's definitely on the up. It didn't happen that way. But now the Braum homecoming has finally happened. A lot of people, myself included, thought it was going to happen back in 2019, but it didn't. It's here now, and so far, I mean, it's been about as good of a start as you could probably hope for. Louisville's 5-0 and for the first time since 2013, and it seems like the energy around the program right now couldn't be any higher going into this game. So what do you expect the atmosphere will be like in the stadium on Saturday? Well, I think it's going to be fantastic. I mean, it's a,
1: it's a Louisville fan base. I think every fan base does this to an extent, outside of the the, the Notre Dames, the Ohio State's, the Alabamas, where yeah, there's a lot of complaining about, the week-to-week attendance and fans getting into the stadium on time, or, or fans leaving too early if it's a blowout. Louisville for for games like this, Louisville fans show up and they're energetic and they're electric. Like this is it is very much an event town. Um, you know, we do the derby big, we we do you know, music festivals big. When Muhammad Ali when he passed, we celebrated his life. That was a huge, huge thing. Louisvilleians show up for stuff like this. And I think you're going to see a crowd that is engaged the entire time. I think you're going to see a crowd that's hungry for a victory. I mean, the Scott Satterfield area, you sort of alluded to it, was just at best, like slightly above average. And Louisville fans have been desperate to get back to that national stage basically since Lamar Jackson left. And this feels like that moment. I think that the Regardless of what happens on Saturday, the fans are excited about the direction of the program under the Prodigal Son, Jeff Brom. But they really want to get back to feeling like this can be a perennial top twenty program, especially with the playoff expansion coming up next year. This can, I I think, that the dream is, you know, UFL is never going to be top five every year, competing for national titles every year. It's just it's never who they've been. But if you can be a program that every, I don't know. Four years or so is flirting with being a top 12 team, flirting with going to that college football playoff, flirting with being one of the best teams in the ACC, uh, depending on how the conference looks in in a few years. I think that's the an achievable goal for Cardinal football and Louisville fans that have lived through being a top 10 team in 04, a top 10 team in 06, a team that was just outside the playoff for most of the season in 2016 have gotten that taste of the good life in football. And it's hard to go back to being just a whatever program after you've had that taste. I think Jeff Brom is the guy that most fans believe can get us back to that point and beating Notre Dame and starting six and zero on Saturday, it would be a hell of a start for sure.
0: It all seems attainable right now with Brom at the helm. I think Louisville's got the resources. They've got everything they need to compete at the top of the ACC every year. And when my family moved to Louisville, it was back in 2006. So, At that time, Louisville football was basically at its peak, and one of the games I can remember from that season was the blackout game against West Virginia, and that was an insane atmosphere. Do you think it's going to be anything close to that on Saturday?
1: I think it will be. Like Honestly, I got asked the question earlier this week about, you know, compare this game to the all-time Louisville home games uh, you know outside of Kentucky games which I, th- I think this you, Kentucky games are a different animal but it's it's rivalry and, and look Louisville's never played a game against Kentucky where both teams have been ranked but I think this will rank right up there with that that West Virginia game Louisville also played Miami uh, earlier that year they hosted them when this was Miami was still kind of like in that you know the U era from the early 2000s they were they were hanging on to it a little bit so they came in with some cachet as as a top 12 team Florida State came here back in 2016 which is the first time that Louisville had college game day and then Florida State also came in here at number 4 in the country back in 02 which is a game that really put Louisville on the map i, I think the atmosphere for this game the environment for this game should be uh, unless Louisville falls behind big early right on par with those games. The common denominator in most of those games is that Louisville has won them. Like they've, they've done, they've done a really good job historically in this spot where they've had more eyes on them than usual. And where the, that kind of peripheral fan the the fan that considers themselves a Louisville fan, but maybe doesn't live and die with the game every week, you get them in the stadium, you get them going nuts. You you get them talking about this game. I think that's when Cardinal stadium can really be a tough place to play. I think Louisville fans watched, the Notre Dame Duke game last week and they heard Marcus Freeman and some of the players talk about, well, you know, the the atmosphere definitely played a factor in this being such a close game. And I think we look at that and we're like, you know, we went down to Durham. We beat Duke by 60 a few years ago. I think if that atmosphere gave you something, we're expecting to be a little bit better than that on Saturday. So I, I, I do expect it to be wild. I expect it to be a hell of a time again, assuming that Louisville can keep it close for, for four quarters, the fans should stay engaged the entire time.
0: Yeah, I just looked it up. That West Virginia Louisville game back in two thousand six. West Virginia was number three. Louisville was number five. It was a huge game at the time and had a bunch of implications for that season. But quick aside from the game, when did become L and N Federal Credit Union Stadium? Because I know why it's not Papa John's Cardinal Stadium anymore. (laughs) But I haven't been. uh, I haven't lived in Louisville in a few years, and that name caught me by surprise
1: this is the first year this okay. is the first
0: year that it's Ellen and Stadium
1: uh you know there was some talk about calling it the Fed which would be interesting considering <laughs> recent history with the FBI and its, it's athletic program so I I like the Fed but Lnn Stadium is what they're going with they've, they've shortened it you know it's not Cardinal Stadium anymore. It's just LNN Stadium, and I'm I'm actually kind of proud at how quickly the fans have adapted to this because stupid stuff like this tends to cause a rift in in any fan base. Like we're i like I'm calling it this or I'm calling it that, and the fans yeah. seem to be like they're like okay, we're we're cool with LNN Stadium.
0: Oh my god, I can't even imagine the message boards at the time of the state the time the name <laughs> was announced. That's probably a lot. But uh, what has the Jack Plummer experience been like so far? Because I've watched a lot of Louisville games this season, and I'm not gonna lie. I've seen him make some really impressive throws. And I was like, wow, is that the same Jack Plummer who started against Notre Dame twice already? But then he's made some plays, like the interception last week against NC State in the red zone, where it made me question if he's ever played football before. So it seems like it's been a roller coaster ride. How would you describe it?
1: Uh, you pretty much summed it up right there. That like that's the, that's exactly what Louisville fans have have kind of gotten out of this. And I do keep forgetting that he's played he's played to play Notre Dame for the third straight year yeah. with the eight, a third t- different team, which is kind of crazy, definitely reflective of of this modern era of uh, college football. But he is he's a guy. I think the key with Jack Plummer has been his QBR, which you know you could say QB quarterback rating for what it's worth, is over one thirty four when he has a clean pocket. It's like 33-something when he's been pressured. He has been really bad when opposing defenses have brought the heat and they've gotten home, um, and that's where he's run into some trouble. The decision-making has been iffy at times, and I think that's why the Louisville fan base has been so maybe critical is too strong of a word, but they've definitely been been a, a little bit leery of Jack Plummer's play because his mistakes are so glaring. When he's good, he's really good, and he's got a ton of playmakers around him. I think Louisville fans look at this and they say – Just keep it simple. You know he's a guy. Jeff Brom basically brought him here because he knew his system. And with Brom, it's a lot like when Bobby Petrino was here a couple of times. You would hear players say the quarterback doesn't have to be that good. It helps when he is, but as long as he understands the system, knows where the open man is going to be, and gets the ball out quickly and accurately to where it's you know supposed to be, he's going to put up numbers. And I think the Jeff Brom system is very similar. And if Plummer can – look, he's got Jamari Thrash out there who's a big-time playmaker. He's got Jawar Jordan in the backfield. Kevin Coleman was a Deion Sanders guy at Jackson State who was the the freshman of the year in that conference. Like, If he can just find those guys and get them the ball quickly and accurately, he's going to put up big-time numbers. But he's struggled with that at times this season. It seems like his decision-making has been a second or two slow. And he doesn't have the biggest arm in the world, which you know, basically means – If you've got Jamari Thrash streaking down the sidelines, you've got a limited window to get him the ball. And if you can't, like he's underthrown deep passes a number of times. It's led to a couple of his interceptions. And then, just like you said, the decision-making. The reluctance to just throw the ball away or to just take a sack at certain times has come back to really bite him. I think he's got three intentional grounding penalties so far this season, all on plays where he's like scrambling out of the pocket and going down and kind of tries to do like a Brett Favre shovel out of bounds, and and nobody's buying it. Um, Those have been bad. And then the interception, he he threw two really bad picks last week. One, right at the end of the first half, he just either missed a route or dramatically uh, underthrew uh, Jaden Thompson along the left sideline. That allowed NC State to kick a field goal right before the the, the end of the half. That's a terrible mistake, especially in a very low-scoring game. And the one that he threw in the end zone, I think this is not hyperbole. It's the worst decision I've ever seen a Louisville quarterback make in my life as a fan. <laughs> I had like three different people send me videos, like their wife, their wives or the significant others were taking videos of them, hoping because we thought we we're going to score and take full, yeah. you know, full, you know, control of the game. So their wives were filming them for a celebration reaction, and they have the, the opposite reaction when, and it made me wish that like I had everybody's reaction because it's funny now that we won the game, but at the time. Yeah. I was saying some things like I, I, I was having some <laughs> issues with the decision to, to, to throw it up in the end to nobody in particular besides the NC State safety. So as long as he avoids those types of, of mistakes, he's been pretty good. He, he's good enough to beat just about anybody on Louisville schedule, especially with the weapons that he has. But it's just uh, you know limiting the glaring mistakes has been has been an issue for him for sure.
0: I was actually on the way to dinner during that, and I was listening to the game on the radio, so I I wasn't seeing it happen, and the way that the announcers reacted to it, it was like an affront to the game of football. They were so disgusted by that decision, and then I was like, oh my god, what happened? So then I was like anxiously awaiting to watch it on my phone, and it it lived up to the hype. Uh, It was was shocking. It kind of reminded me of some decisions that drew pine made last year, but I don't want to get into all that. Um, I, I don't think it's a stretch to say that this is the best supporting cast that plumbers ever had. Uh, Jawar Jordan is so explosive. A running back Jamari thrash. You've already mentioned him. He's a game breaker, at wide receiver, but that being said, NC state's defense was able to bottle up both of them in last week's game, even though U was able to pull off the win. I watched most of that game. I have my own ideas of why NC state had success and also they're just a good defense. So I don't want to say like NC state has some really good players. Notre Dame dealt with them earlier this year, but why do you think Louisville struggled so much offensively in that game? And what do you expect they'll change when they face Notre Dame? The biggest thing, and it
1: legitimately surprised me because NC state is, they're a capable defense, but they don't have the type of, you know, Bradley Chubb playmakers that they've had in years past. They can't miss the NFL guys. Uh, I mean, I think, What's his name? Um, Peyton Wilson, a Wilson linebacker, is a stud Yeah, is good. He, he's really good for sure. But they're not loaded in that front seven like they have been in some years past. So the fact that they were able to really stifle Louisville's running game, it surprised me. Like I, I thought Louisville was going to be able to run the ball somewhat effectively against them, and instead, Jawar Jordan, who entered the game as the nation's leader in yards per carry, only has 32 yards on on 16 carries. Uh, could not really get loose at all. Uh, the, the other guys they brought in, Maurice Turner, had no success. They got to Plummer consistently in the backfield. And to me, that's the biggest thing. I, I think, one, they were able to limit Jamari Thrash's uh, effectiveness because they have Aiden White, who's a really, really good cornerback, and, and they mostly focused on him. Two, the blitzing, Plummer never really adjusted to it. You, you know, He he didn't do a good job at recognizing where it was coming from. And NC State, uh, with Tony Gibson, the defensive coordinator, they do a good job at disguising their blitzes. But still, there were some really obvious pass rushdowns where Plummer just seemed totally perplexed by the fact that he was getting pressure from his blind side. Like he not reading, not finding the hot route, not checking down, not changing anything. Uh, That really, really, I think, stifled the Louisville offense. And then also, they just missed on some big opportunities. Uh, You know, there was a play on the very first drive where. Braum got exactly what he wanted, which was Jawar Jordan matched up against a linebacker in coverage. Jordan streaking wide open down the left sideline, and Plummer just overthrows him by like eight yards, and and they never really got going after that. So, I think the rush defense, whatever NC State was doing, dominating at the point of attack, was you know they didn't have to honor the pass game that much because they just. You know, they knew that the rush wasn't doing anything, and then Plumber just a lot of times just just didn't get rid of the ball uh, the, the way that he should. I think the the fact that Thrash was so bottled up last week it, it makes me a little bit nervous going into this game, just because he's going to be going up against, in all likelihood, an even better cornerback uh, this week. I, I know that the Notre Dame defense, I think they have, you know, their, their safeties are okay. Their linebackers are, are good, but not great. But the defensive line and then the cornerbacks are what really, really scares me because I, I think that they can shut down thrash in the same way that he was shut down last week. And then Louisville didn't really have a, a good option when when Jamari wasn't being able to make plays. So yeah, that's, that's the best way that I can describe what happened last week.
0: We'll be right back with Mike to talk more about the upcoming game against Louisville, but first a word from eBay motors. not cash with all the parts you need at the prices you want it's easy to turn your car into the mvp and bring home that win keep your ride or die alive at ebay.com motors ebay guaranteed fit only available to us customers eligible items only exclusion supply we've talked a little bit about Plummer's struggles against the blitz how much do you attribute that to the offensive line and not giving him protection or is it just Plummer sort of kind of freezing up when he's back there and he sees the blitz coming I think it's mostly the latter. The offensive line has been pretty good for for the
1: most part of the season. Like they they gave him a clean pocket throughout the Boston College game, and he put up outrageous numbers against BC. The issue against NC State was NC State was willing to bring like three guys. Like they, they were they were bringing seven sometimes, and at, at that point it becomes a numbers game, and you just you're, you're going to have a free rusher, and it's on the quarterback to throw the ball where the blitz is coming from. And Plummer just did not do it effectively. And I think the fact that they, they felt really good about their two cornerbacks uh, NC state did putting them on an Island and bringing that pressure. um, It it maybe limited Plummer's confidence in, in just, you know, throwing that quick route to Kevin Coleman or throwing that quick route to Jamari thrash. But I do think the, the offensive line for the most part has been really solid. Willie Tyler, the left tackle, has been very good. Uh, Rutgers transfer that was pretty highly sought after in the portal. Um, Brian Hudson, uh, the, the, the center, is an all conference player. He's the only member of Louisville's offense or defense that was preseason all ACC. If there is a little bit of a weakness, I think it's probably depth. They don't have if a guy gets dinged up or a guy just needs a break, they don't have a great second string uh, on the offensive line. And also the right guard, Ronaldo Brown, has been a little penalty prone at times this year. But I think the offensive line, for the most part, has been good. So I, I think the struggles with the blitz are more about Plummer and the receivers, who did have a, a handful of drops that should, should be said last week against NC State than it is about the O-line.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And I want to flip it over to the other side of the ball because Notre Dame fans are familiar with Jack Plummer. Louisville fans are awfully familiar with Sam Hartman, and the last time they watched Hartman play in Cardinal Stadium, there's really no other way to put it. Hartman had a complete and utter meltdown. He was responsible for six turnovers in a single quarter, and Wake Forest came into that game ranked uh, number 10 in the country, which is exactly what Notre Dame is now. So there are some parallels there, but the circumstances are a lot different now for both sides, Louisville's defense and with Hartman being at Notre Dame, so what are your expectations uh, for Hartman and his return to Louisville I mean I can tell you what my hopes are my my, my <laughs> hopes are, are that he
1: walks in that building and and feels the ghosts of Cardinal Stadium pass now LNN Stadium and uh you know I hope that he makes a mistake early and then he just kind of starts you know you know having all these this little PTSD, <laughs> PTSD and flashbacks yeah. to last year um I mean yeah he was he was terrible last year in that game a lot of that was because Louisville had a much different defensive philosophy under the, their old defensive coordinator, Brian Brown. Like they led the FBS and sacks last year because it was, it was a feast or famine defense. It was, they're going to bring all that pressure all the time. And if it, if it costs us a couple of big plays, then so be it. We feel like we're going to make up for that with turnovers that our pressure causes or by big sacks and wake forest never adjusted to that. And like you said, uh, Hartman had the six turnovers himself, three interceptions, three fumbles in that third quarter. They had two more turnovers from other people in that quarter. They turned the ball over eight times in one quarter as Louisville routed them by 27. And it was a a top 10 Wake Forest team coming to the building. But, you know, you look at the numbers this year. And Hartman, by the way, only came into that game with one interception. I think two total turnovers. So it wasn't like he'd just been throwing the ball around. But you look at his stats this year. 14 touchdowns, no interceptions. It's very similar, but I do think it's very different. Uh, you know, he's not going to be facing the constant pressure from the Louisville defense that he saw last year, and he's got a ton more weapons to throw to. I know you guys, two of those weapons are back this week at wide receiver, which I think will help out a lot. And he has a much, much, much better traditional running attack with with Aldrick Estime who's going to be the best running back that Louisville's faced this year. So you can't just key on the pass. You can't just key on, on Sam Hartman um, and, you know, try to make him a sitting duck back there. It's not going to work, but yeah, there is a, a there's definitely a part in, in, of Louisville fans that are thinking like, you know, kind of a similar situation went pretty well for us last year. Maybe we can have something similar happen this, this go round. And he, you know, that was his second start against Louisville. The first start didn't go much better for him. He, he's been 0-2 against the Cards with, I think, eight total turnovers to his name. So he's never played well against Louisville. But like you said, it, it's a, a much, much better supporting cast for him this year.
0: I just looked it up. In that game against Louisville, Wake Forest was leading 14-3 at halftime. After the third quarter, they were down 14-48. to <laughs>
1: It was, It's the craziest quarter in the history of Louisville football.
0: Unbelievable. I remember the live check-ins they were doing during that game, because I'm pretty sure Notre Dame was on. I was watching that game, and they're like, we got an update from Louisville, another interception or another turnover. And I was like, this can't be real. That has to be five or six, end up being six in the quarter. So it was a truly insane quarter. Uh, Really, I'm sure Sam Harbin has not forgotten about it uh, in the time since. And I, I think from Notre Dame fans, we're hoping that he gets a chance to exercise those demons, because he kind of did something like that earlier this season when he went to NC State. Uh, I think he was 0-2 in his career there and was able to get a win. So maybe this is uh, the Sam Hartman revenge tour. But sort of on that note, Louisville's defensive line has been so impressive to me this season. Ashton Gelati, he's one of the best pass rushers Notre Dame is going to face all season. But they've got a bunch of good players on that union. Steven Heron is another name. Uh, their stats won't blow you away, but they can be really disruptive. So how do you think they'll fare against Notre Dame's offensive line?
1: I think that's the big question because, you know, it's a defense that's held up better than maybe Louisville fans thought they were going to, especially up front so far this season, but they haven't faced a, you know, an offense like Notre Dame's. I mean, and that's, that's the big question about Louisville on the whole is they're five and oh, but you look at that schedule. A lot of the teams that they played have looked much worse, even in the weeks, uh, you know, a- after their game against the cards, than they looked at the time Indiana has been really bad since they, they played Louisville in a close game. Georgia tech hasn't been good. Um NC state who's probably the, the best team Louisville's played that they, they squeaked out a win over in Raleigh. You know, they lost to the, the team that's coming to town this week by three touchdowns a, a few weeks ago. So uh, I think Ashton Gelati is the, is the name to know for Notre Dame fans up front for sure. He was a big time recruit uh, three years ago. He got on the field last year, really showed strides. I think, established himself as a likely breakout guy this year at the end of last season. And he leads the nation right now in quarterback pressures. So he's getting to the, he's beating left tackles pretty consistently. He's not getting home a lot, but he's definitely forcing quarterbacks out of the pocket and forcing them to make some plays on the run. You mentioned Stephen Heron, the transfer from Stanford, who is a Louisville boy. He's from uh, from Trinity high school here in town. He's been really good. He's, I think he's also, the biggest thing with Stephen Heron is he stepped into a leadership role that was vacant. Uh, you know, Louisville's best players last season were its linebackers. Pretty much all of them left. Isir Abdullah got drafted. Yaya Diaby got drafted. Monty Montgomery transferred to Ole Miss. They lost a ton of production in the middle, and they had to go out and get some, some guys in the transfer portal. Haren was the big one, and he's really stepped up and been great. Uh Destel, who played nose tackle in the old system, he's kind of a guy that's going to cause a, a lot of chaos down there in the trenches. He's a big body who's more athletic than you'd expect to see from somebody that size. And then I I think the most pleasant surprise for the entire defense and maybe the entire team has been, a handful of linebackers that have been in the program for a while, but haven't really produced a ton that have been really good so far. Uh, TJ Quinn was mostly a special teams guy before this year. He was the, he was the MVP of the spring game on the defensive side of the ball. He's become the team's leading tackler. And then Jalen Alderman, who was only known to Louisville fans because he got in one play at the end of the, uh, the UCF game two years ago and returned an interception like right before the end of the, before the final horn for a touchdown that, that won the game for Louisville. That was pretty much the only play he'd made in two years at Louisville. He steps into a starting role. He's been all over the field. He's been really good as a, as red shirt sophomore this season. So the linebackers better than we thought they were going to be. The defensive line has been really good, but like we said, it's, it's a different beast this week against Sam Hartman, Audrick Estime, and, and, and that contingent of uh, Notre Dame front offense.
0: Last question on the game, and then we got to get to the stuff that uh, I really brought you on for. But (laughs) Louisville's secondary has been prone to giving up yards this season, but the defense as a whole has been been able to really clamp down on opposing offenses in the red zone. The Cardinals have the fifth-best red zone scoring defense in the entire country. So from the outside, it seems like a perfect example of a bend but don't break defense. But Louisville's also 122nd in the country in explosive plays again. So it does break sometimes. How would you describe your confidence level in the unit as a whole going up against an Irish offense that, admittedly, has struggled in their last two games? I
1: would say cautiously optimistic because, like you said, you know Louisville's one of the best explosive play teams in the country on offense, and they're one of the worst explosive play defenses in the country. They give up a lot of what they get on the other side of the ball, and, and more times than not, it's been, I think, because they've brought pressure and that, that hasn't gotten home, and they play that zone defense and. Opposing you know tight ends, which is makes me nervous because Notre Dame's <laughs> leading re- leading receivers, the tight end, uh, you know, ha- have found the soft spot in that zone more times than not. There have also been a number of plays if you've watched Louisville against Indiana or against Georgia Tech or against uh, NC State even last week, where they've had open guys and they've just they've gone against bad quarterbacks that have just misfired. So that definitely makes me nervous against a really accurate six year quarterback and Sam Hartman. I-, I think what makes me more nervous about this game though is. Louisville's done a good job at on obvious rundowns, first down first and 10 second and four. They've done a good job at kind of dominating the point of attack and not putting the opposing offenses in a second and manageable and you know, where they can get really creative with their play calling. I'm nervous about a, a guy like estimate getting five, six, seven yards on first downs. Like that would be, my biggest concern in this game, and then putting Hartman in a place where he can get a little creative and create some of those chunk plays because they feel confident in their ability to run it on third down and pick up another first down. So, like, they've been good for most of the year. They definitely been a, a bend but don't break defense, but you know, that's going to help you beat NC State. It's going to help you beat Georgia Tech. It may not help you beat Notre Dame. So, it's definitely uh, a concern of mine going into this weekend.
0: All right, let's have some fun. Yesterday, I read your article uh, where you call out Rudy's dad for being maybe one of the meanest characters ever created in the history of cinema. And I could not recommend it enough to everyone listening because it is laugh out loud funny. But Mike, please take this opportunity to explain why Rudy's dad is so insufferable. He's
1: such an ass. I mean, I mean, he's like, I, I loved Rudy growing up. And I, I say this in the story, like I, I've probably watched Rudy 40 times over my life. I had a high school teacher who played it every single year uh, when I was going to high school. Wait, so what I, high I'm school did you go to? With, I went to Trinity. So it was, yeah, it, you know, they, they have Rudy like playing on every, every room in the school when you walk through. It's a, yeah, like it, it's, it's a ride of I passage to that. watch Rudy and. Ro. In religion class, like in, in Trinity. <laughs> That's what they do. It's pretty it's like half of the half of the course. But uh like watching it as an adult, I fired it up for the first time a couple of years ago. I was shocked at just how vicious, not just the dad, but basically Rudy's entire family, and how little goes into like why they're that mean to him. Like, you know, Rudy's dad from the very beginning, first of all, in the very first scene of the movie where Rudy comes home and he's like, I'm gonna play football for the, for the for Notre Dame, his dad laughs in his face, <laughs> fake acts like he's gonna fake hit him is his response to it and then encourages the whole family to make fun of him it's the opposite of every like you know like parenting tip you you would think of and like people are like well he's a product of a different era i'm like this man saw america succeed in world war ii he he saw america you know thrive and become the world's superpower and his his message to his son after all of that is that Dreams are terrible. Don't ever think about pursuing them. Do as little as possible. He's the absolute worst. And then the the, the moment that really got me in the entire movie that I'd forgotten about is, you know, his dad he tries to talk him out of going to, to Notre Dame, tries to talk him out of doing everything because he's like, he's, he's like, you're dumb. You suck at sports. Live your life in this death trap that killed your best friend. The only redeemable character in this movie besides Rudy. <laughs> um, that's what you need to do. He goes up there. He... He goes to Holy Cross. He gets good grades. He goes through hell. He gets into Notre Dame. And so he comes back. He shoves it in his dad's face, which is what I would have done at the plant. And his dad is like, my son's going to Notre Dame. He's happy for like 10 seconds. And then Rudy is like, his dad's like, why don't you come work at the the mill that killed your best friend for a couple of weeks while you're home for break? And and Rudy's like, no, I got to get back. Football traps are coming. And his dad hangs his head in shame. Like, he just attained something that you thought was impossible. Probably the greatest feat of yeah. anybody in the history of the Rudiger family. And then when he's like, I'm going to go try out for the football team, you're like, I can't believe I ever enjoyed this kid. Frank, the ass, <laughs> the, the, the ass who's worked, he's, he's my new favorite son again. Like, he never gives him any credit the entire movie until he actually sees him play against Georgia Tech at the very end. And even then, it's, like, all about him. He's like, this is the most beautiful sight my eyes have ever seen. He doesn't give his son any credit. He's terrible.
0: I never understood why Frank was the favorite. They they do nothing to explain that at all. Maybe it's just because he works at the mill. But I think my favorite part of that whole story, when you brought up the high school priest slash teacher who basically told Rudy that he's too stupid and poor to even ride the bus <laughs> to go to Notre don't, Dame. Don't even look at the campus. You're not even allowed <laughs> to think about it. Like you get Don't dream about it. Yeah. You're a
1: moron. You have to stay here and live in Joliet, Illinois, for the rest of your life. You're not even allowed to tour and think about going to the school. What, a, what, a, what a, a, a godly message to send to a young man trying to make the best of himself.
0: Rudy's probably like, dude, the path to get there is hard enough when every single person in my life is doing everything they can to knock me down. It's making it more impossible. But with all this in mind, could you please power rank the five meanest characters in Rudy. Like, I already know who's your number one, but give me the other four.
1: I actually think Frank is number one because, oh, okay. yeah, Fr- Frank is never like the dad. At least you, you can. He- he's a he's a dick, but like you can write off some of the stuff of like a gruff exterior, trying to be a hard nosed father. It's productive his time. You you can do that a- to an extent. He's terrible, but Frank. They never give any sort of backstory whatsoever as to why he hates Rudy so much. It's like because I don't know, he played harder than him in high school football, so he hates him so like there's never any reason. He's he's, he's an absolute atrocious older brother to him. The entire movie, he like his best friend dies in a fire and he's like, "Good, he deserved it." <laughs> Frank, Frank is absolutely the worst character in the movie. The dad is second. I mean, Frank, even like, you know, Frank is like acting like he's happy for Rudy when he makes a sack. The look on his face still makes you think. Why he, did he get like the invite?
0: Yeah. He, that, he, had that no business going to
1: South Bend. Yeah. Take the other brother who at least apologized for boinking your old girlfriend. <laughs> um like so so Frank's the worst. The the dad is second for sure. I think the priest is third. It's a limited yeah. role, but it's it, like it is a death blow where he won't even let him get on the bus. And he's, you know. You know, he's like the, he has the whole spiel too about like the problem with dreamers is they're never achievers. Like, like which again is not exactly the message we need to be sending to America's youth in the early 1960s or whatever this is supposed to be. Um, So he's third. I will. I'm going to put this as kind of a, an underrated pick, but probably deserves more. The girlfriend. Yeah, I thank you. Who, that's who I
0: was thinking. It's got to be the girlfriend.
1: I mean, she's so mad at Rudy because he won't doesn't want to get married at 19. Like, like. Calm down. Like, let him let him work in the mill for a few more years. Let him do something. And the second he leaves, he hasn't even gone for four months. She starts shacking up with his brother when he's home. And she acts like she's so apologetic. Like, I'm so proud of you. Like, whatever. Like, you, you you're, you're sleeping yeah. with my
0: older brother. And she acted surprised when Rudy came home for Christmas. It's like, what did you think he was going to do? Did you really think you were going to be able to keep this a secret for that long?
1: I mean, Rudy comes home
0: for Christmas,
1: shows his dad that he's got an A and three B's from Holy Cross. His dad won't even get out of his recliner. And he's just like, good for you, whatever. Frank looks at him with this just disdain. His old girlfriend, he finds out is sleeping with his brother. So he leaves in the middle of the Christmas break to go back to, to Joliet, to South Bend, Illinois, by himself. Nobody stops him. Literally nobody is like, <laughs> no. You spend the holidays with your family. Everybody's like, thank God he's gone. Who cares? Like, no, don't. It, it's terrible. They're all awful. Fifth, I would put—I mean, probably the brother who's who's sleeping with the, the girlfriend. Like that's—he's terrible. I can't think of anybody else who's who, who's that bad. Too. Like they're all family members. Like it, it, besides the priest, they're all like the, the the people who are supposed to be supporting Rudy the most in his life are the worst to him. It, making the team at no Dame is no obstacle. It's 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 the easiest thing Rudy's ever done in his life after growing up with these a holes for his entire life.
0: I know. It's almost like there's some people watching that movie who are like, damn, if I want my son to play football at Notre Dame, the only thing I have to do is just be incredibly mean, show him no love, no compassion, no empathy for his entire life, and then maybe he'll have the motivation to uh, walk on the Notre Dame football team. But it sounds like you've been hearing from some members of the Rudiger family ever since they (laughs) came out. The real Rudiger family.
1: Which I don't think they read the post because, like, how dare you talk about my grandfather that way? I'm like, I'm making a point in the story to say the only information I can find about Rudy's actual dad is that he was a very loving father. Not at all the way he was portrayed in the movie. I think he was somebody told me that he was so like his actual obituary made it a point to say like, I'm not Ned Beatty's character in the movie. Like he was a great father. He was not that bad. Trust me. So like, but like, yeah, some of the, the grandchildren I think found the story were like, how dare you? I'm like, well, you know, watch the movie. I think I'm, I, I, it's, it's a pretty defensive position. It's, it's obvious. The one, the, the other thing about the movie that shocked me that I just, it, I never processed as, as a kid that is so ridiculous is so he goes out on his own, he goes to Holy Cross, he has success, he goes to, gets into Notre Dame for God's sake, he makes the team, he's he's practicing, like, the, the dad still doesn't believe him because he's like, oh, I watch the games every week and I don't see you running out there. It's like, at what point do you have a little bit of faith in your son that he's not just telling the grandest lie of all time? Like, like, like believe in your son like, the, the tiniest bit. It's it's just, it's horrible. It's terrible
0: parenting. Yeah, no follow-up questions. Like, I just watched games. You're not out there. So I actually looked it up. I found his obituary, and, and it says, Quote, he worked two full-time jobs and sometimes a third, part-time one, to raise his children, one of whom grew up to be the title character in Rudy, the feel-good sports movie about an undersized underdog kid's quest to play football for Notre Dame. Mr. Rudiger died last month at his retirement home in Wisconsin. At one point in the film, Mr. Rudiger, portrayed by Ned Beatty, tells his son Daniel Rudy Rudiger, chasing your stupid dream causes nothing but you and everyone around you heartache. But in reality, quote, dad was our biggest fan, said his one son, Tim. Daniel Rüdiger agrees the filmmakers took some liberties, he said, using that scene with Mr. Beatty to symbolize every pessimistic message Rudy had ever received about downsizing his goals. So you're right. They had to literally go out of his way or out of their way in the obituary to sort of uh, defend his honor. And uh, it sounds like the Rüdiger family just is completely missing the point with your article.
1: He's such an ass in the movie that when he died, the whole family was like, we got to we gotta get this out there. We, <laughs> we don't want anybody to tie him to, to die Ned Beatty's character. I do love the irony, too. Ned Beatty from Louisville, uh, Louisville's own Eastern High School. Uh, A lot of people pointed that out as well when I wrote that. So a lot of different ties here between Louisville and Notre Dame. I think we can all agree, though, the Ned Beatty character in the movie, absolute dick.
0: All right, that's a perfect note to end it on, Mike. This has been a ton (laughs) of fun. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Enjoy the game on Saturday. I hope you have a great time, but hate the outcome, and uh, best of luck to you the rest of the season.
1: You too, man. I appreciate it.
0: That's a wrap for this episode. Thanks again for making Lockdown Irish your first listen of the day. For the everyday listeners, we'll be doing another mailbag episode tomorrow, so be sure to get your questions in. Plus, I'm going to have another Louisville insider on the show as well. Before you head out, please subscribe on YouTube or wherever you're listening to the podcast and follow the show on social media. The Twitter account is at Lockdown Irish. Instagram is at Lockdown Irish Pod. And my personal Twitter account is at Tyler, W-O-J-C-I-A-K. I'll see you guys tomorrow.